1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So it's
0: uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us?
2: Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. It's Neil again today, and I have someone coming in to join us, a very familiar uh, guest on the show. I think this is the fourth, third or fourth time that he's been on the show. I think it's the fourth time. It's Stephen from uh, Villa Analytics on Twitter. How are you doing, Stephen?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
2: Excellent. Great to hear. Great to hear. It's been a while since we've had you on. More than likely, actually, I went back and I looked back through it, I think it was uh, just at the end of the last transfer window, um, and it's just kind of coincidental that I'm having you back on just as the new transfer window has opened again. And uh, we had a small bit of news this morning that it looks like um, the on-off transfer, I suppose, of of Morgan Sanson is is coming to uh, coming to a head, and it looks like Aston Villa have won the tug of war with Marseille. I'm getting all my tabloid speak in here. You see, this is uh, this is very uh, very good stuff for podcast. Getting all the tabloid headlines in here. But they've won the tug of war with Andrea Villas Boas, um, and it didn't look like they were going to win it, that is Stephen? Because Villas Boas mentioned during the week that he felt that previous offers were pathetic. So, uh, were you kind of were you surprised to see Villa go back with an offer so quickly? Into and, and and you know, from all reports, it looks like as if that offer has been accepted.
1: Well. I saw Dean Smith, uh, I think maybe the day after V S. barras comments, he was asked about them and asked if he wanted to comment and he uh, laughed and said, no, not really. Um, And that sort of suggested to me that Dean knew that it was a move that was going to happen. But I wasn't too surprised this morning, to be honest, to see that it is happening. Um, It's one that I was always fairly confident about
2: yeah, I uh, I suppose it's, it's, it's one that, that I was confident about when I saw it as well. But I think what I wanted to happen was I wanted the wheels of motion to go quickly. And it seems that they have done because this kind of broke. I think I'm right in saying this broke last weekend. And we're now uh, one week on and, and it looks like the deal is a done deal. And it's only a case of him coming in and getting checked over by the medics. And uh, hopefully it gets signed. But it's... Uh, but what, what do you make of the rumored pricing Stephen because it's a uh, you know this guy has been has been linked with teams previously for 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 various different sums but rumored price Steve have you seen it and uh, and, and what's your views on it
1: um yeah I, I've seen about 14 million euros uh, this morning I think um, which is obviously a brilliant deal um, and as you mentioned he's been linked he with moves away for like 25 30 million Hmm. as much as recently as a year ago sorry um so to get essentially a half price deal for him you know you can't complain about that at all um i think given the financial power that Villa have at the minute that is absolutely nothing um i think it takes a lot of pressure off samson um given that it's not a big big money move for us you know there's not that sort of Pressure and expectation of if he was a record signing, it expects him to absolutely hit the ground running. But I think we've got sort of a record signing value player um, for just a standard fee, uh, which I really, really like. Look, I think
2: exactly. Uh, if if you can do shrewd business, and I think Aston Villa have done shrewd business in previous purchases as well. Uh, when you look at, at maybe some of the. I suppose some of the output that you're getting from players like Douglas Luiz, the output you're getting from players like uh, Ezri Kansa, I think maybe at the time we, you know, as fans, you would have looked at at the money we spent on Kansa and said, wow, uh, that might be a lot for somebody who hasn't really proven themselves, you know, even at championship level. They, they obviously they showed, showed potential, but, you know. Uh, we're looking at that now and seeing it as a snippet uh, on, on that's pennies in the dollar again, you know, from what we would sell somebody like Kanza from for at the moment. And and obviously keeping Douglas Luiz um, this year would be a huge statement of intent, provided that Man City don't come back in for him as well. And, and I think that probably brings me on to my next question with regards to, to Sanson is... Before we look at what his statistical output and, st- and things are, where do you see him fitting into this midfield? And do you think that the signing was potentially made with a view of Barkley or Douglas Louise potentially leaving?
1: Um, yeah, I think Sanson is an interesting one because I think he could sort of play, sort of replace any one of the three. Um, I don't think he'd be in the same role as Barkley necessarily. And he'd be in a slightly different role to even Douglas Louise but I think he gives us competition for place in all three positions um, which I really really like I think not just if one of them leaves but if one of them gets injured um, we'll still have a very very strong midfield three but I um, With Douglas Louise, I feel like if Man City bought him, I think we'd bring someone with a slightly different profile to Samson in. Um, Just because Samson is a bit more of a, I don't know how to phrase this very well, but sort of risky player than um, Douglas Louise on the ball. You know, he's not one that's going to retain and recycle possession. He's one that's going to try and play it forward, play it forward, play it forward every time he gets it. Um, So I imagine if Douglas left and Man City did, come back in for him. Um, we probably bring in a player that's a bit more similar to Douglas. But in terms of Samson replacing Barkley, if he didn't make that move permanent, I could definitely see us sort of playing more of a four three three rather than the 4 2 one and bringing him in there.
2: That's really interesting because, uh, and we we'll get out to the statistical data in a moment as well, but you do have some pundits in France Kind of when when this guy was breaking through at Montpellier, and uh, Le Mans, I suppose Le Mans. If I was to pronounce it, uh, it, it Irish guys can't do French accents, so I'm not going to try it. <laughs> I'm not going to try it. Uh, Le Mans is uh, when he was breaking through there. Obviously, he moved on to Montpellier, and 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 they were looking at um, they were looking at him in the same role as maybe Marco Verratti. And I mentioned this in the podcast before you know pundits at that stage when he was 19 20 21 were looking at him as a you know Casemiro type uh, Marco Verratti type uh, Iremendi type uh, type player that kind of deep lying playmaker um maybe not a destroyer but but his tackling statistics when he was younger were 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 up there uh, but it's interesting to see that that I suppose as he's matured he's moved f- further forward and I know that when he played with Montpellier, he could. It, the, there was there was a lot of times he actually played in the right wing, uh, more or less, almost an attacking right midfielder. But they always felt he would come backwards into the inter, into the centre a lot more. Talk to me a small bit about I suppose about his statistical output um, for Marseille over the last few years, who have been a team that have been challenging at the top of league and, and have been, um, I suppose, have been. In Europe as well, and have had small bit of a renaissance, I suppose, of their of their club in recent years under Villas Boas. How does he fit in there?
1: Well, um, it's essentially he's very very good defensively in his defensive numbers. Still, uh, he makes a lot of tackles, a lot of interceptions, um, and offensively he's also very very good. Um, you know, he's. Contributing to goals, contributing with assists. Um, he's involved in a lot of the build-up. But the one thing really is, as I mentioned before, it's his sort of passing reliability in the passing and turnover numbers, which are where he's not so strong. Um, and that's kind of similar to John McGinn um, in the team. A lot of dribbles, um, a lot of work. Sort of just in front of either box, um, but not the most consistent passer, um, and that's that's why for me this signing is a really interesting one statistically because he is most similar to John McGinn of any player, um, at our club. But I wouldn't say necessarily McGinn is a player that I would expect Villa to be looking to replace at the minute, um. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, and it, it will be very, very interesting to see who drops out of the team when Samson makes his debut, um, whether it's Barkley, whether it's McGinn, whether it's Douglas. Um, what, what what do you think it'll be?
2: It's, it's interesting because... Um, I've, I've been doing, I, I'm doing an awful lot of looking into positional setups and, and, and tactical setups in, in teams um almost looking at doing proper coaching badges uh, for, for football at the moment. And I've been looking at a lot of stuff in the FA and, and, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the double pivot um situation that with regards to midfielders and I think that at times Dean Smith would like to even have a treble pivot in the middle in the middle of the midfield. If he was to bring in Morgan Sanson, it would give him the opportunity to maybe do that. Obviously, Douglas Louise is um like like people like Jose Mourinho would play a staggered pivot, uh, uh, whereby their uh, their defensive midfielder uh, would move back. and And this is why I absolutely loved people like Pierre Emil Heiberg moving to uh, to Spurs because just fits their system absolutely perfectly. And, and on a little bit of a tangent before I get back to where I think that, that Sanson is going to fit in, I think that's what Dean Smith is looking for here, somebody who's going to fit the system perfectly um, because it's not going to be about going out and buying maybe the, the absolute best player available and there will be better players that will move on to other teams. Not saying that Sanson isn't a very good player, I actually really rate him uh, from what I've seen, but we will, we, might get, we will get players that will fit into this system. Um, so... Going back to what you mentioned was that I think this is with a view to keeping industry within this midfield, keep it, making sure that we don't have to bring Jack, Jack Relish in off the wing, making sure that if Ross Barkley is out, it gives you options of having four people in that midfield. And I think that I think Dean Smith has kind of sat back and said, right, the days of having fifteen Premier League players are gone we need to have 20 Premier League players that can come in and keep the high levels of intensity, high high levels of industry in midfield. If you look back at the end of last season, Chelsea, when we were able to make five subs, Chelsea brought on Pulisic, they brought on, um, Jesus, I can't remember who else they brought on as well, but they, they were able to make their, their, their subs and they just brought in quality after piece, after quality, after quality. And we, we brought on Keenan Davis with the best will in the world, Keenan Davis. So, where I think that Sanson is going to fit in is I think that Sanson is going to give us uh, an option that when we do go to maybe top six clubs um, and we're trying to maybe eke out results, uh, maybe even at home, that if the opportunity, if, if uh, actually, do you know what? Point in case, against against Manchester City, I thought McGinn looked a bit leggy and somebody needed to come in in that instance. It would have been great to have a like for like from McGinn, but we certainly don't have a like for like from McGinn. Um, so while I do think he comes into play, play uh, in the same position as McGinn, I think the tactical setup would maybe tweak this model a bit. That we may not see the the six, eight, and ten that we see in midfield now, and we might actually see two sixes and two eights, or two sixes or two eights at any given time. So I've done a real politician's answer to this, Stephen, because I haven't really answered your question. Um, mm-hmm. And the answer that I actually wanted to give was, I think that they've they've specifically. At, looked for Morgan Sanson because he can either play in McGinn's position or in Ross Barkley's position and it just means that we don't have to bring Jack Grealish off the wing into the centre because I, I I genuinely feel that we've kind of gotten away with it now where Ghazi has done fantastic but I think on any given day Dean Smith sees Jack Grealish out there so bringing somebody in who can play either McGinn's or Barkley's position is uh, is what, what, he, what he wanted and I think that Morgan Sanson is going to see a lot of minutes I think he's going to see a lot of minutes, whether it be in a starters' starters' position or off the bench as well. So, um, yeah, I, I I think I think no, I, I don't think anybody's position in midfield is safe, bar um, bar Douglas Louise.
1: I like what you said there about um, bringing him in to fit the system, because I think our best play really comes on the counter attack, where we carry the ball forward and then create once we're in an advanced position Um, Hmm. and that really is what Sanson is Um, when when he picks up the ball in deeper positions he doesn't like to sort of tap it about from side to side he likes to get forward carry the ball forward and then look to pick the final pass straight away and I think that is exactly the type of player we need in our midfield I think that's what we get with Barkley what we get with um, McGinn and for a defensive midfielder we absolutely get that with Douglas Louise too uh, so I, I think that's very much what we will have looked at um, when picking out Samson is that player who can carry the ball, get forward on the counter and especially if it were to be dropping Ross Barkley for a more defensive player and going to a 6-2 8 as you said um, it will still keep that sort of threat of having ball carrying midfielders who can counter Mm. Yeah,
2: that's and that's how we beat. That's how we beat uh, Liverpool. That's how we beat. Uh, that's how we beat Leicester late on. That's how we beat Arsenal. The counter attack, making sure that we can uh, have enough of a threat in the middle, and Ross Barkley has provided that. Uh, now a lot of the time he does play close to Watkins, but in those games he did come deep as well when needed. So if you can, if you can make sure there's enough eyes on our players in the middle, whereas Jack keeps his one to one on one on, on the wing. Because a lot of teams will still look at Jack Grealish and think, yes, we would love to double-team him, but at the risk of leaving an open canyon down the middle to allow somebody runs run directly onto our centre-halves. Because Watkins does a lot of work moving them around too. I think what they would do is they would prefer to stack the middle and then maybe transition out towards Jack Grealish. Um, so I, I, I very much agree with what you're saying there. And uh, it's actually gotten me a small bit excited because... It's, we, we become less one-dimensional. We become, we're allowed to stay in our same tactical setup, but not be as one-dimensional where teams would have to go, are we going to play against Ross Barkley, who has this specific set, uh, skill set? Or are we going to have to deal with two nuisances like McGinn and, and Sanson? And, and, and the more teams are guessing for our setup, the less likely we're, we're to be found out, like Sheffield United have been this year, or like Wolves have been at times this year. So it's very important to keep the keep the guessing game going, I think, uh, while not messing with our our statistical setup um that much.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that's been one of the sort of biggest improvements we've made this season. What you mentioned about teams wanting to double team Jack Grealish, because last season, you know, you get games where teams have put four players on Grealish and yeah. completely shut him out. Um Or even still, he sometimes managed to get the better of them. But they would overload Grealish so much. But we didn't really have the quality elsewhere to create as much without him. But now I feel like if if they put two or three on Grealish, that leaves space for Barkley, for McGinn, Traore, Watkins, Trezeguet, El Ghazi, whoever's playing that leaves the space for them. And now I feel like we've added so much attacking quality. And I think we've improved our system to the point where teams can't really afford to just put a bunch of players on Grealish. Um, And that sort of, again, as you mentioned, the one dimensionality, I feel like we've sort of broken away from that. And I think that's been holding us back somewhat for quite a few years, pretty much. Since we got relegated, I think we've been Jack Grealish FC, but now <laughs> it's sort of starting to feel like Jack Grealish and the Villa team as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think you know what? There isn't one of those players out in that field as well that would mind being like, uh, like, like if we were to, if we were to put a band name, you said Jack Grealish and the Villa players. I think that's <laughs> like, like that's that's fine. That's fine. If everybody gets paid. You know, that's that's the way it is. Whereas if it's Jack Grealish FC on his own, he's trying to do it, um, that, that's that's a bit of a problem. But if it's Jack Grealish and a cast of players, that's cool too, you know. Uh, I, I actually really dislike when perceived bigger teams will start saying things like that because after you start pointing out the fact that our defence is pretty good and you start pointing out the fact that, listen, we're, we're beginning to spend money well. Look at our goalkeeper, look at our right back, you know. And then you start turning around and you start saying, if you were to ask some people who their best player, who their favorite player was in the Villa team, they might say John McGinn. They might say Emmy Martinez. They might say Matty Cash. They might say Matty Target, given given whatever game they've watched. And then team, and then the whole argument of, well, Jack Grealish isn't the best, is your only player falls apart. And they resort to, well, Jack Grealish is a diver. <laughs> it's a case of, yeah, but two minutes ago, you just said he was our best player. So if he's on the floor all the time, how is he our best player? <laughs> you know? So it's a, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's mutually beneficial to everybody. Uh, like Barcelona have done it for years. They've had quality players who would have been a cast of players for the likes of Xavi and, and, and Messi and, and whichever star striker they've had up front. You know? But realistically, it was Messi FC. You know, Real Madrid were, were Ronaldo FC. There's, uh, and the reason I'm, I'm calling it out is that nobody ever says that's a negative for those teams. Nobody ever says that, and and nobody would have ever said the said, said it about. Uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of any of other teams, but but it, because Villa maybe are perceived as maybe a, a mid tier team, it's it's almost said as a negative, uh, in a in a, in an attempt to maybe move Jack Realish on. Do, do you think that's maybe? Am I making sense when I'm saying something like that? Because I'm trying to verbalize it and kind of kind of describe my thought process as I'm talking here without actually thinking much about it.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, I think the thing that best describes it like, for me personally is that last season, if you took Grealish out of our team, say he was suspended or injured or whatever, there's not a single team that we could play without and that I'd be confident in. Mm. You know, I, I, I would expect it to lose every single game without Grealish last season. Mm-hmm. But this season, as much as it would hurt, as it would make us worse, it'd be a, a massive, massive player to miss but there's still a number of teams in the league where even without Grealish, I'd expect to beat them because I think our 11 without Jack is so much better than what we had last year. Like I I think we've done incredibly in the transfer window. Um, I think the likes of Douglas Louise and Esri Komser have developed a bit and are a lot better than they were this time last season. Um, And even like Matty Target against Man City, he's incredible. Uh, I don't think I've I've ever seen him play that well. He was so, so good. And that is, what, a week after he recovered from COVID? Yeah. And it's like, I just, I, I think it's such an exciting time to be a Villa fan, given that we are moving past almost every issue we've had over the past few years. Um, in terms of you know the financial struggles and not being able to defend, not being able to score, being a one-man team, it's now sort of got the feeling about the club where the only thing holding us back in a sense is just time. And it sort of feels inevitable that we're going to be yeah. back to where we were sort of 10 years ago within the next couple of years.
2: That's, that's you know what, you've summed up my thought as well is that uh, we're on such a good track at the moment, but on-field and off-field. You saw The Athletic posted a, a, a list of accounts. Now, saying that, that list of accounts were from the 2018-2019 season when Edens and, and Suarez came in and basically made sure that the ship was running tight after we nearly went out of business. Got rid of a lot, a lot of contracts, uh, a lot of aging contracts and so on. But still, someone needed to do it. Uh, it obviously doesn't take into a, into account our outlay over the last two transfer transfer windows, but um, still saying that we're still in a very very good very very good position from a financial point of view. Off the field, on the field, we've been in we're in the best position we've been in 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 the bones of a decade, and uh, it's it is really exciting and uh you know the more and more that we we add to this it, it's 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 going to get more and more exciting as you say it's the time it's the time you know do we have the time to keep this together you know it's a slow, it's going to be another uh, maybe another season before we will get all the pieces in to really kind of crack on provided we don't make it this year because we're playing well enough, mm. but um, you know the the plan. As I say, the plan has always been there for has been set out for a couple of years. Have we jumped the plan, or are we going to stick to the plan? I suppose is 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 what we kind of need to need to see from our um, the custodians of the club. There's one there's one player actually, Stephen. I want to ask you about. And I don't know. Do you have statistics to hand? I don't know. Can you put your hand on statistics? But. Somebody who is—I'm going to call him Mercurial because it, number one, it's a word I love, and number two, I think it—I think it describes him absolutely brilliantly. But Bertrand Traore—he's um, not everybody's cup of tea, but he's bloody nice cup of tea to watch at times, isn't he? You know, the, the flicks and tricks and the unpredictability of him.
1: What's your view on Bertrand Traore? I think unpredictability that you just mentioned is pretty much my opinion of him um, you know he's he's very exciting um, he's a very very interesting player um, he's probably the most one-footed player I've ever seen um, because his left foot is a wand but his right foot you, you don't want him to have to kick it with his right foot um, but yeah, he, he's, he's very, very dynamic. He loves to carry the ball. He's contributing to a lot of goals. Um, mm. And it, it's a really hard one for me because a lot of the time I'll look at him and in a lot of possessions, he'll look like he's a rubbish, rubbish player. Like, there'll be sometimes I'll pick up the ball. He'll pick up the ball and just toss it away and it'll look so weak and so unskillful especially when he's on his right foot and I'd be like how is this the guy that has been scoring and assisting and tearing teams apart for us um and then you look at his um touch against Man City um that that, that was absolutely incredible um and I, I I still haven't made up my mind on him if I'm honest um when he first came in i was very undecided about him and i'm still very very undecided about him because i just can't i'm very anxious to sort of view him as a great player just because of the bad stuff that i've seen and i don't want to get overexcited and ahead of myself but it is becoming increasingly difficult to sort of not think of him as a great player mm-hmm. um So I think maybe if you ask me in a month and he keeps up this form, I'll tell you I absolutely love him. Um, But at the minute, yeah, I'm very, very undecided.
2: He kind of reminds me, uh, and... I can't think of any any specific example of this happening in the, in in a film, but like like you know when you put together a star-studded cast, like something like The Expendables, and you've got one guy who wants to just go in there and blow everything up, and then you want to have another guy who wants to go in there and pick people off and be a little sniper. And Virtu Truori is that kind of that guy who just wants to go in there and blow everyone up. He's just so unpredictable, but he's the, he's, he's unpredictable. Unpredictability allows the guy who's the sniper to kind of flourish. So. Maybe it could be, it. I, I actually think that the club knew what they were getting in Bertrand Troy and they embraced it and they embraced the unpredictability from the point of view of, okay, if we go, right, this guy over here is completely mad. You got to look after him because you never know what he's going to do. Then Jack can, once again, it's all about keeping Jack in his one-to-one ma- battles on the other side. And that's why I'm really looking forward to seeing Troy on the right, Jack on the left and Barkley down the middle. Properly in a game where we're not really backs to the wall because I think it would be a case of um, you know you've got two people on either side that they have to worry about with the best will in the world and I'm not anti Trezeguet whatsoever when Trezeguet is over there the he's not I would consider him very predictable in the fact that he's uh, very good defensively which Bertrand Schorer is isn't really he's he, I I'm not as down on him as other people defensively he's a bit slow to come back all right but. He certainly doesn't have that uh, sparkle, Trezeguet, when he goes forward. He's very much an, in, much an industrious player. and uh, But with Traore, you know, the more of these highlight moments, like his first goal he scored in the, in the cup, uh, that that flick, um, you know, he's, he, it, once a game he'll do something that will make you think, wow, how did he do that? And I think the more he kind of gets a reputation for that, the more people will actually kind of have to plan, game plan for him even if our team don't even have a clue what he's going to do on any given on any given uh, attacking series, and I'm okay with that, uh, as as you say. But it's fun to watch. It absolutely is fun to watch. Is it sustainable? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. But I'm I'm I was interested to get your views on him because uh, as I know that you you do look at the statistics for players and, and the analytics side of things, and um, uh, he he was a, he's a bit of an anomaly because a lot of the stuff he does i would imagine trying to plot it and graph it on a like statistics would like a constant I'm imag- I, I would imagine and there's, there isn't there isn't very very much constant about him <laughs> if that makes sense
1: yeah I, I was just um just about to make a very similar point to what you just made about sort of tresage and him essentially being the opposite to treore where because Trezeguet is so so mm, consistent, um, reliable, defensively solid, and then Traore is a lot more unpredictable, not as much defending, sort of a wild card. Um, but if you do look at Traore's numbers, um, they're actually really good. Um, just, because, just because of how much he actually does um, when you start breaking it down, he does some pretty rubbish stuff and some great stuff but he's very play. Um, I'm finding him and Cash on the right hand side seem to link up very very well um, I think Matthew Cash probably loves and hates playing with him because um, <laughs> he'll play the ball forward and he won't have a clue if he's getting it back if it's going to end up out for a goal kick if it's going to end up in the back of the net Um and he, he'll, he'll probably be the one who has to suffer with the unpredictability the most. Um, but at the same time, Traore is very good at taking the ball out wide, carrying it forward on his left, and giving that space for cash to overlap outside him. Um, and I think he's a lot better than Trezeguet for that. Um, because I think Trezeguet is not as dynamic as Traore. Um, mm. I'm not saying Trezeguet is a slow, boring player by any means. Um, I like Trezeguet, but I, I definitely think in terms of linking up with a fullback, Traore offers something that Trezeguet doesn't as much.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I agree with that. I think also, you know, I, I'm just I'm just happy to have that live wire in the team, uh, and that to have uh, that that unpredictability for me is. Uh, it's a positive. It's infuriating for some people, especially when he doesn't come back and track back to to defend. But uh, it's it, for me the positives will weigh away uh, the, the negatives so far on Bertrand Troy. And I think, uh, I think judging by what you've said there as well, that you're very much in that camp too. So, uh, so, so that's good to see. Um, overall, I suppose uh, on the actual Villa play. Uh, is there anything that stands out from you with the way that Aston Villa play that maybe um, is unsustainable or is how will I put it is, is is kind of a flash in the pan? I don't know how I want to phrase the question. I hope it makes sense. But is there like is because we didn't see this level of performance all of last year? Is there something there that has changed remarkably from from this team in your view uh, since you know the since, I suppose really since lockdown, or is has there been subtle changes throughout the team that that have made us more difficult to play against?
1: Um, I'm this probably won't really be the answer you are looking for, but I'd say the most unsustainable thing about the team at the minute, especially from a statistical point of view, is ollie watkins lack of goals um i take that if that's... underperforming is actually so much um that if there was one thing that was going to change about us at the minute it would be ollie watkins would start scoring more um so, me up. <laughs> yeah um but in terms of stuff that's changed from our season um it's very much the pressing side of things um because as a whole on the league, in the league, sorry, teams are pressing less than last season. Um, and especially pre-COVID, just because fitness levels are lower, fixture congestion is higher. Um, but Aston Villa are the only team in the league who are pressing more than they did last season. Um, and I think that's been the big, big change that with Watkins coming in um, and with... Barkley, when he's been available, getting very, very close to Watkins and sort of almost playing as a 4-4-2 off the ball. Um, we've... And, and also, as we've had better results, I think our confidence has improved to actually step onto teams. And I think, I think we're a lot less afraid of um, going after teams. But the one thing that may be somewhat unsustainable about that is that every other team is, you know, pressing less than last season. They're sort of managing their fitness levels a lot more than Villa. Um, And Villa weirdly seemed to be so, every player seems so fit Um, every even against Man City, when we hadn't played for a few weeks and a number of them had had COVID, the energy levels were incredible. but the one thing is, as the season sort of gets on, especially with all the games in hand we have, there could become a time where we become a little bit worn down and can't quite press as much and then have to make a couple of tactical changes. But then if that does happen, Samson coming in could replace Barkley and that would naturally make us more defensively solid.
2: Here you go. That's there. There is... As we say here, there is the method behind the madness of bringing in a player whereby we can't immediately from the outset see him usurping somebody else within the team. Welcome to welcome to big club problems, I suppose. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I'd like to say. Um, before I let you go, because I, I've, I've robbed half your evening already. Um, I've got two questions number one is is there any is there any um part of the team that you feel that we should push on and 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 strengthen uh, now that we've looked to have Morgan Sanson in we're not going to counter our chickens just yet but is there any other part of the team that could do with could do with strengthening in your point from your point of view
1: the the only position i'd even really consider bringing someone in um would be a backup left-back, to be honest. I don't yeah. think Neil Taylor's good enough or even close to good enough, um, unfortunately. But So someone to compete with Target, I, I wouldn't say someone to replace Target because I think he's been incredible all season. I think he's it, come a long, long way defensively um, and I'm loving what he's been doing. Um, so yeah, just, just someone to compete or back up with Target. Um, but even that isn't too important for me um, I'm very very happy with the state of the squad uh, at the minute and I'm very confident that the players we have um, can make a very good season out of this
2: Yeah I think you've read my mind once again because that's that that's the area although I really do like the look of Kane Hayden Kessler that's coming through too and I think that's maybe because he can play both wings both, both full back positions and whether it's the right or whether it's the left, I think we might see him on the bench and see him kick on before the year is out for sure. Um, before you let you go, as I say, one last thing. What, what's the wackiest, craziest kind of uh, Villa statistic out there at the moment for this team? I mean, there's always one kind of statistic whereby um, John McGinn hasn't touched the ball with his left foot in seven games or something like that. There's always some mad statistic. And I'm probably putting you on the spot. What's the maddest statistic out there for Aston Villa at the
1: moment? Well, my, uh, my favourite one at the minute is actually uh, one I tweeted the other day about Emmy um, Martinez um, was cheaper than um, Aaron Ramsdale, um, who went to Sheffield United. And um, this this was before the um, Man City game. So you've got to add one more clean sheet, one more game, sorry. Um, yeah. But before the Man City game, it was Martinez who kept more clean sheets in his last six games than Ramsdale had in his last 46. Wow. So more than a season in it. Um, this before they meet each other. Um,
2: <laughs> That's crazy. That's yeah. absolutely crazy. It's uh, he's he's definitely look, he's I, I, there's there's no doubt about it, like he's blown people away with his level of performance since he's come into the team, Emmy Martinez, and uh, long may it continue because it's a very steadying influence back there for no matter who plays in front of him. Um, he's a very steadying influence and uh, definitely one that we can credit uh, the Villa backroom squad with with um with scouting and i suppose getting the data on and, and and making the decision on considering he had such a small sample size in the premier league as well so fair play to Aston villa on that level Stephen, thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it i absolutely really love talking to you you know you're a mine of information um i love all the statistical side i love the stuff that you've uh, you've you you've been doing as well um so everybody uh, I always say this whenever you're asked Stephen, but I feel patronizing. But if you're not following Villa Analytics, just follow. It's it's uh, way better than anything we put out here. <laughs> <laughs> if you're into that stuff, you're into statistics. Uh, it's based uh, any of the any of the, the statistics stuff that he puts out there is all based in, in facts and so on. So it's, uh, it's a really good, really good follow, a really good, uh, really, really good account to, to look at. Um, but thank you so much, Stephen, for popping on. Really appreciate it. And we're recording here about three and a half hours before uh, the Newcastle game. So hopefully, uh, actually, give us a prediction quickly. Sure, why not?
1: Oh, um, I think this could go one of two ways. I don't think it's a really game that suits us, um, really game that suits us just because we won't be able to play on the counter. But I reckon it'll either be a frustrating 2 1 win. Or a brilliant 4 0. So um one of the two. <laughs> 4 0. I'll take I'll
2: take two 4-0 wins if you're selling them. That's what <laughs> I'll take. Excellent. I'd be delighted with either. I don't care as long as we get three points on the board. I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not here for style points um in this game. It just needs to be a win for me because it's one that I'm expecting the team to win. So however they win it, I don't really care. Um it's definitely a, a must not lose game, anyway, it's how, how I would put it down. But no, that's great. That's fantastic. Listen, uh, as I say, everybody follow Stephen on at Villa Analytics. You can follow myself on at Love McGrath Pod. and uh, yeah, as I say, until after the Newcastle game, um, we will be back. I suppose after that again, and uh, all that's left to say really is up the Villa.